How does thought leadership fit into your marketing strategy during a recession or when one might just be around the corner? Well, my introduction to the power of thought leadership actually came in the last recession as I was entering the workforce for the first time. It was 2009. I had just graduated college. And not only did I graduate into a recession, but I worked for a small mom and pop nonprofit. And so we didn't have a big budget, but we did have a lot of heart, wisdom, and experience as both an organization and in terms of the people leading the charge. And so we decided to go all in with a thought leadership and storytelling strategy for our marketing. Since we couldn't afford ads, glitzy marketing campaigns or events, or even at that time, a PR firm. So in this episode, I want to tell you what we learned about marketing yourself as a thought leader in a recession, why it worked, some of the surprising side effects of, you know, creating a thought leadership strategy, and then finally, what metrics you can track to see if your own thought leadership is working successfully. And of course, when I say thought leadership, what I'm talking about is a practice where we consistently use our passion, our lived experience, and our credibility as fuel to spark trust and community as we imagine and shape the future together for the better. Does that sound interesting? Well, then keep listening. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Campfire Circle. I'm your host, Tanya Bhattacharya, and I empower purpose-driven women in building influential personal brands that drive change and raise revenue. We all talk about getting a seat at the table, but why though? Who wants to sit in a stuffy boardroom anyway? Let's reimagine the ultimate space of leadership as a campfire circle, where we share stories that inspire movements, Build brave communities to huddle together with for warmth and where there is always room. Come sit with us. Okay, so let's go back in time to 2009. I was 21, freshly graduated, and I was ready to join the workforce after 16 years of school. But unfortunately, the workforce was not quite ready for me. But that's okay. Luckily, I fell into working for an amazing nonprofit. We were in the behavioral healthcare world, but we were a smaller 24-bed facility. And so we were a small fish compared to networks of care with thousands of beds nationwide. As a fundraiser, we were also very much in the nonprofit world, but we were a smaller organization. I think in 2009, we probably had less than $3 million a year of an annual budget. And so we were also a small fish compared to other organizations in Orange County where I live who had millions and millions and millions in assets, you know, just down the street from us. And so finally, we had really excellent credentialed caring staff, but none of them at the time were known nationally in the field. And that's okay. Like they were in the trenches, they were saving lives and that mattered tremendously to the people that they helped, obviously. But The people outside of our immediate circle didn't know about it. They didn't know that they could get help for their unique situation there with us. So all in all, we were a small fish doing great work in a really big ocean. And it was like we were hidden under a piece of seaweed or something. We certainly were not a household name in the houses that we could have and should have been. And, you know, again, we were in a recession. We were small. We could not spend our way out of the problem of invisibility. And so we figured the solution was going to be to really get scrappy and highlight what made us different. 
And that started with the people leading the organization and delivering care so that they could share their unique point of view and their wisdom from the trenches and sometimes their own story and lived experience. And so, you know, I learned how to organically start to get our opinions out in front of people who needed to hear them, like via op-eds and industry publications and LinkedIn content. And I learned how to position ourselves as as an expert so that we could become known for very specific things. In our case, it was maternal substance use disorder and recovery for pregnant moms. And through doing that work, I really started to realize that competition is not a real thing because other organizations that do similar work to us are not competitors. First of all, We can't compete when philosophically we want each other to win because we have the same vision. If we want more families to get sober and the organization down the street wants more people to get sober, then it's not a competition if we want the same things. And then second of all, we forget this, but we live in a world that is really abundant with clients, with funding. The only thing that is feeling more and more scarce is time and attention. And so I think the real competitor is noise and distraction. And the real challenge for us becomes obscurity and figuring out how to like get that seaweed off of us and transform from best kept secret to go to top of mind, trusted voice for an audience that can help you accomplish your mission. So anyway, this process took a while. I'm not going to lie about that. This work is not immediate. And I think consistency is really key. I think that's where a lot of folks go wrong. They put their thoughts out there a few times. They maybe get a couple, a little bit of traction, but not much, and then figure this isn't working for me and go to the next shiny, you know, shiny object. But organic thought leadership is a really long game, but it's one that's exponential. It's one that bears a lot of fruit over time because it builds, it compounds, and it grows as your name continues to be referenced and recommended in rooms that you're not even in so that you can scale your impact and influence. Okay, so back to the story. So as our thoughts and our opinions and our thought leadership got out into the world, people would start to invite our ED to speak at conferences about her unique ideas and how to replicate them. Reporters started coming out of the woodwork to interview us and our clinicians as subject matter experts. And more than anything, we started to attract the right partners so that we could move our mission collaboratively in a way that felt serendipitous, right? We were able to move forward and we were still a small fish. Like we were still small, but we had a much bigger voice. And most of all for me, you know, goody for me, I was a fundraiser. I did not have to worry so much about where the next influx of resources was going to come from because we were attracting a sustainable stream of interested people who could come alongside us and support our work, even in a recession. Because here's the thing, even in a recession, people still need stuff. And if you are needing to tighten up your belt, you know, because we're in an economic downturn, Think about what expenditures that would make the cut for you, right? It would be things that you need, things that you feel emotionally connected to. It would be things that you feel a part of or like in, like a community orientation towards, things that you have confidence in, things that your friends referred you to. Like all of these things are deliverables of a thought leadership strategy. And so looking back at that time now of 2009, you know, more than a dozen years later, I think In hindsight, there are a couple of reasons why a thought leadership strategy like that works really well during a recession. So in an economic downturn, it's kind of like we're on soft soil, 
the, the ground is shaky, the foundation has been lifted up, and people are looking for new ways of doing things because what used to work may not work anymore. And so people are looking for change. They're like, they have their ears open for innovative, creative solutions. People are looking for hope. And so when you put your unique ideas out there, your hot takes that are rooted in your lived experience and what has actually worked for you and your community, people are going to be more willing to listen and try something differently for themselves, especially if you have maybe a controversial or ahead of its time point of view in your area of expertise, and you can tie it into the moment that we're in. So if you're a champion for working moms, like share your opinion and point of view on Serena Williams's retirement. If you're a burnout and recovery coach or a rest coach for folks who are exiting toxic workplaces, share your opinion on quiet quitting. Like these two things are just really low hanging fruit ideas today as I record this on September 6th. You know, things will probably have changed by the time you listen to this episode, but like think about what are the trending topics that you can tie back to your specific niche and your industry and your your expertise. Like I have talked about my experience as a graduate of the op-ed project a couple of times on this podcast now. It's a great program. And something that I took away from that experience is that our ideas are like ships sailing on the water, looking for a port to land in. So does this moment in time have a mooring for your ideas? Can you lead or convene conversations that you and the people that you serve care about so that together you can think about things in a new way and disrupt the status quo? And so, yeah, maybe now in a recession, maybe now is the time for you to really start getting these ideas out there because people are listening. Here's the other thing. Thought leadership is different than being an influencer or a subject matter expert because an influencer is somebody who is just known. They just, they have a lot of eyeballs, but not necessarily for anything in particular. They have a lot of followers, they have a lot of attention, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have trust in a certain thing that they're experts in. A subject matter expert has a lot of expertise and credibility, but they don't necessarily have attention. They aren't like top of mind, right? And so the differentiator is that there is an action orientation to thought leadership. You know, thought leaders take their expertise and consistently like disseminate it outwards into their community to build that top of mind trust so that they can shape the future for good. And in a recession or any time of crisis, people are looking for solutions and answers from a reliable voice. And Backing up just a scotch, I realize that I'm talking about this like it's easy and it's not for a variety of reasons, right? So through my own trial and error and learnings, I figured out the strategy piece and then I even figured out the schedule piece, right? Like I gained the skill set by learning and doing of how to, you know, create our pillar content and, and how to repurpose that and how to batch our content and how to capture like unique opinions in the moment and otherwise like turn this practice of thought leadership into a habit versus this thing on the to-do list that never gets crossed off. But I think the real piece that we have to overcome as social impact leaders, especially leaders who are not male, pale, or stale in any kind of way, is the systematically limited beliefs that we carry. And I have started being very, like recently, I've started being very intentional about saying systematically limited beliefs versus self-limited because they're not ours. They're not, they don't come from ourselves, right? They were planted and conditioned and trained into us 
because we live in a society with sexism, racism, ableism, ageism, classism, all of the intersecting isms baked into it, like butter in a flaky puff pastry. It's so folded in there that you forget that it's there. And so these things that come out, like these natural reactions, like imposter thoughts and over-delivering and perfectionism and people-pleasing, all of those things are not ours to claim. You know, they, they are a function of oppression. And maybe I'll do another episode about that. But what I'll say here is that there are very real systematic barriers to thought leadership work because you're putting your face and your name on the line of what you believe in. You're taking a stand, a visible stand. But like on the other side of the coin, this work also transforms you into a more embodied, better leader. You know, like once there's a transformation that happens and once a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it can't change back. And the chrysalis process is ugly. It's painful. It's goopy. It's like, you know, it's not cute. But once the caterpillar emerges a butterfly, it is transformed and it cannot go backwards. And so this is my butterfly story, okay? Here I am interrupting myself because I have something amazing to tell you. On Tuesday, September 27th, I'm hosting a free private training about thought leadership on LinkedIn to drive change and raise revenue. You'll learn my three-part thought leadership framework to go from underestimated to influential and impactful on LinkedIn. These are the same insights that I learned through my own journey as a nonprofit executive, which I then streamlined and taught to over 50 social impact entrepreneurs and executives one-on-one over the last 18 months. I'm going to be sharing the actual tasks, habits, and to-do lists that I teach so that you can grow your visibility and confidence to consistently shine as an influential voice in your niche on LinkedIn. This training is free, it's full of actionable insights, and transparently, it includes an invitation to work together in my new group program, The Kindling Collective. There's no obligation, only a warm invitation from me to you. So register for your spot in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. So in everything that I described earlier in my career, I was doing a lot of backup singing to the people who were putting their reputation on the line. I was planning and coordinating and writing. And pretty much I was like under my security blanket, safe and cozy in the background. And I was very happy there. But as I grew throughout my career and eventually became the executive director, there was no way around it. I was going to have to become a face of the organization. And that is when the itty bitty shitty voice or committee or inner chaperone got very loud. And it started saying like, who are you to be talking to these PhDs and MDs when you just have a bachelor's degree? And it told me, who are you to be asking these very affluent, like influential people for a six figure gift when you are probably never going to be able to donate that amount of money in your life? I don't know if any of you have been watching the show Selling the OC. It's a little bit of guilty pleasure. Like that's where I live. And those are literally the types of homes that I would be going to donor functions in. And I was like, okay. I don't know if I belong here. And the other, you know, and speaking of that, it also told me like when I was in boardroom tables and, you know, like other spaces of leadership, there weren't a lot of other people who looked like me as, you know, a South Asian at the time. I don't, I don't even know if I was 30 yet. I just looked different. I was just different. And so the voice said, maybe you don't belong here at this table. 
And so we're more likely to have these impostery thoughts activated when we don't see as many examples of people who look like us in leadership roles in our space. And that is another reason why it is so important for us to take that brave stretch and start to share our opinion and really shine in our leadership. Because the next generation of leadership is looking for people to look for, right? And go, oh, hey, like they're showing up. So maybe I should too. And it's not even always that obvious. It's It starts as like a little bit of a nudge and it just grows from there into a snowball effect. As people who are creating thought leadership in the world, we'll never know the full extent and impact of our reach. But you, I mean, just you got to trust. You got to trust that it's there. Well, actually, speaking on that, let me finish up this episode by kind of talking a little bit about how can you track thought leadership? How can, like, what are the metrics? How do you track if it's working? And, you know, as a solopreneur, consultant, coach, service provider kind of person, I don't track these things in the same way that I would if I was doing this for a company, if this, you know, if I was doing this for a corporation. And maybe I should, I don't know. I just have never really been as interested in gauging quantitative numbers and metrics as I am with qualitative metrics and vibes. Because here's the thing, like I said before, the product of thought leadership is top of mind trust with an aligned audience that becomes a community. So how do you measure that? It's, you know, I I don't know. I think likes and even follower count on LinkedIn are for the most part dangerously close to being vanity metrics. And so I think the things that I really try to pay attention to more so than that is like the number of times that you are mentioned or that your stuff is shared. So the greatest compliment and warm, fuzzy producer for me is when somebody shares a podcast episode or another you know, piece of thought leadership content that I have put out in the world on their own platform and mention what they resonated with, right? Or send it to their friends and and maybe one of their friends lets me know, hey, you know, so-and-so sent me this and I think blah, blah, blah. Like when that is happening for you, that means that you're generating conversation and you're sparking a, a ripple effect. You're sparking new thoughts and behavior change. And think about like the fact that if one person is sharing your stuff, think about how many other people are being impacted it and just never even tell you, you know? So the second thing is being asked, you're being asked to be on dozens of amazing podcasts and stages and things like that without necessarily even sending any pitches. And if you send out pitches, great, keep doing that. Like that's a good practice to have. But I found that strong, consistent thought leadership means that your visibility becomes pitch optional, right? Because you're just top of mind with your community. Third, another thing you can look at is looking at the time that it takes for somebody from entering your ecosystem, and maybe that's downloading your lead magnet or signing up for your email list, to applying to work with you, whatever that looks like, whether it's a HoneyBook application form or signing up for a donor cultivation event, like whatever that thing is for you as a social impact leader to finally going to the place where they're like, yes, let's do something together, right? So with strong thought leadership, the average time in between those things gets shorter and shorter. Fourth, your referrals and the alignment or quality of those referrals to what you do, it changes, right? So I get multiple notes per week saying like, Tanya, like, 
three people told me to reach out to you because I have a client who wants to do X, Y, and Z, and I don't do that, but I hear you do, right? So strong thought leadership does the heavy lifting of business development for you. Because again, your expertise is disseminated at scale so that people are talking about you positively as a trusted guide without you even having to be in the room which for me as kind of a lazy person is really great. Like the less rooms I have to be in physically, I am down for that. So what else? This is not something I track, but cost per acquisition of client or donor or whatever type of audience you're trying to bring in. That is something I did used to track in my past career. And when you have a strong thought leadership brand, you know, your cost per acquisition will be lower because your awareness and your trust is working for you. You don't have to necessarily spend as much money on ads and other costs unless you like, unless you want to, right? And then finally, something that is typically called a net promoter score, which is something that gauges how willing your current customers or clients are willing to refer or tell their friends about you or really promote or post on social media about their experience with you. Again, not something I have actually tracked, but I have kind of dipped my toe into exploring because I recently launched a Social Impact Sunday Stories series. That's a lot of alliteration on LinkedIn, where I highlight one of my clients each week, their work and their testimonial about our work together. And if you haven't seen it, I'll tag the series in the show notes so you can check it out. But think about if you can create a similar type of series with your own clients, and that will help you realize if they are willing to promote your work together. And so there's so many things that I don't you know, necessarily care to track numerically, but that I tap into, right? That gauge the texture and the richness of my community. It might be someone sending me an email saying that a post I made inspired them to take a big step in their life or someone sending me like someone telling me that they sent my podcast to their mom because she works in social impact and her mom was already a listener or like a dreamy OMG partnership opportunity recently falling into my lap that is so aligned. I don't even want to talk about it and jinx it because it's so magical It's those magic moments and signs that I think are the true metric that the alchemy of thought leadership is working. And so I would love to know, what are some of the magic moments that you've experienced in your thought leadership journey? Reach out and let me know. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. What'd you think? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or even better, reach out and let me know through lumosmarketing.co. Yes, that's Lumos as in the illumination spell from Harry Potter. Because when you shine, magical things happen. You can get social with me on LinkedIn. And of course, check out the show notes to stay in touch with our guests. Let's talk soon.